Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. I am thankful that you are here. Ushers, why don't you make your way to the front? Thank you so much for your help every single week. We have a a handout that we'd like to give you this morning. And in that handout, it has sermon notes, some announcements, and, uh, and we want you to be able to take good notes this morning. It's great to see folks visiting with us. I met a beautiful couple down here from Seattle, Washington, and visiting with us. Found us online. And um, Bud and Joanne have uh, a couple here, the Hollis family, all the way from Michigan. And Bud and Mr. Hollis, they went to elementary school together. So that's a long long time ago, a long, long time ago. So it's, uh, uh, it's great to have them uh, here. And Cindy Keitlander, good to see you. Uh, Sharon's friend, wonderful to have you. And then, um, uh, then uh, we have a really special guest this morning, Peggy Castaneda. She fell, she broke her hip twice in three months, had a full hip replacement, looked like it was going to be many weeks in rehab, and here she is just out, uh, two weeks removed from that. She's in church. Let's thank her for being here in church today. That is awesome. Uh, Peggy, I think you're an inspiration to all of us. You, fun, you try your best to stay out of church, and you, you still get back here in church. And so uh, it is great to see you. And this is uh, kind of a holiday weekend in the fact that it's rodeo days. And so TUSD and our school have been out for four days. And so many families took that opportunity to go out of town for a few days. And yet, look at this attendance. This is amazing attendance that we have in spite of... Um, in spite of the, the, the rodeo day. So uh, we thought our attendance would be soft today, and we were completely wrong. I believe I'm looking at a bunch of people that love to be in church. And, uh, and uh, you didn't use an excuse for something called rodeo days not to come to church. I teach, I'm privileged to teach the Empowered, that's the single adults class. We absolutely had a great time this morning, and um, our attendance did not dip at all. In fact, we had an increase in attendance. It's just so exciting to see what's going on among the single adults. And in that, uh, we're trying to lose them as fast as we can gain them, for we have a couple that's getting married, and they're going to move up to the married class, and so their marriage is in just a couple weeks. Um, and then come to find out, another couple of my class got in engaged this over this past weekend, and now they're going to be leaving my class, so, so uh, uh, there's love in the air, and so that is awesome, and I'm so thankful for these, these single adult couples that are um, uh, getting engaged and married, and, and just it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. On Friday night, I had the opportunity to, to do my final counseling session with Josh and Heather Wilbur, and they're getting married, and so there's just some um, 
a lot of good things happening there in that area of our ministry. All right, looks like everyone's uh, situated. Great to see Car- uh, uh, Caleb and Carissa visiting um, uh, back here at our church. They moved to the Phoenix area, and they're members now of a church plant that we supported for three years. And Pastor Treber and uh, Pastor Treber's already uh, told on them they're really involved already. And he is. Uh, he says, if you have any more families like that that you'd like to send our way, please do. I told him no. <laughs> so I'm thankful that, that, that they've jumped in there, gotten involved, and that's a great uh, testimony, and I appreciate that. All right, everyone situated. Let's go to the book of Ruth this morning. The book of Ruth. We spent some six months in the book of 1 John. And so uh, you knew where we were going to be every week uh, for many, many months. Well, we finished 1 John last week, and this week we're going to begin a new book of the Bible, although it's, it's very short, and we'll just have four, maybe five messages out of the book of the Ruth, uh, book of Ruth. And so we'll, we'll be in Ruth chapter 1 in just a few moments, um, and uh, you'll help me there as we read a couple verses. Let's open uh, uh, this message with a word of prayer. And uh, I know, personally, as several of you have shared different requests, there are a number of health needs. There's a world crisis going on. uh, that Some of you are carrying burdens and special unspoken requests. And I think it's important that we ask the Lord to help us so that way we can pay attention to the Word of God. Maybe we could set aside some of those heavy burdens we carry, and we can open our hearts to what the Lord would have for us today. So would you join me, and you pray as I pray that God will bless this message and be able to speak to all of us. Father in heaven, I love you as my heavenly Father. Thank you for your many amazing, amazing blessings. Father, we know that no one said the Christian life would be an easy life. It's a life full of blessings, but not an easy life. And we carry burdens. And we, no doubt, because of that sinful nature and then that nature that came to us from beginning a relationship with you, that there's just a lot of conflicts. Father, there are those within our congregation. There are members who are unable to be with us today. There are those who are watching via live stream that have a number of unique burdens. So, Father, would you help, whether it's financial a relational whether it's job-related, whether it is something that, uh, that is health, uh, in a health uh, arena that they just can't uh, publicly share. Father, their unspoken requests. Would you help each one of us to cast those cares at your feet at this very moment and then allow thy Holy Spirit to speak to us during the preaching time. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking for financial security is not wrong in and of itself, uh, but our plans should not be made without considering how it affects our lives and those other Christian lives around us. And many Christians often talk about this terminology called greener pastures uh, when they decide to accept a, a job offer, to move away, when they decide to explore how their spiritual lives uh, will be affected in a, in a new location. And oftentimes we don't explore how that's going to impact our lives. Something very similar happened in the life of a man by the name of Elimelech. And Elimelech is found here in the book of Ruth. His wife's um, name was Naomi, 
We've heard of Elimelech and Naomi. If you've been in church any length of time, you came to a, uh, you went to a vacation Bible school as you were growing up. Uh, you you went to a Sunday school class or a growth group. You're familiar with the Book of Ruth. Today, in this introductory message, maybe we can be reminded of those things that we think we remember about Ruth, and perhaps throw in some things that you did not know. But here's what happened: Elimelech made a decision. And that decision was to uproot his family and go to um, a land that was a bitter enemy to the people of Israel. And here's the backstory: story. Uh, there was a famine in the land. There was a shortage of food. And so during this famine uh, in the land, he left from, he left from his security and his, his uh, homestead, if you will, in Bethlehem and went to a place called Moab. It was a distant, foreign land. And apparently there was some food available in the land of Moab. But as it turns out in the first five verses of the book of Ruth, Naomi's cup, the Bible says, turned from being full to empty, from sweet to bitter. But in the midst of this bitterness and emptiness, there's a, a strong confession of faith uh, from Ruth, the main character in this book, who happens to be Naomi's daughter-in-law. I really think that in many respects we can relate to this story as, it's a, as we're just going to do our best to retell the story. Look with me in Ruth chapter 1. We're just going to read the first five verses. Again, I'll read the odd verses. You help out and read the even verses. And, uh, and even though there's some unfamiliar names, uh, just say them really fast and you'll be okay, okay? We can make it through that. Verse 2 in particular. Let's all read God's Word together. Now it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Maybe we'll do better on verse 3, uh, okay? <laughs> or verse 4. I, I think we could do verse 4 a little bit better. All right, verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And Malon and Chilion uh, died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So this morning we're going to begin a short journey through the book of Ruth. I hope that you will read with me over the next couple of weeks the book of Ruth. And you can read it three, four, five times. And you can also understand the story and where we're going. And although we've just completed 20 messages out of the book of 1 John, uh, we're just going to take a short study here in the book of Ruth. And so as I begin today, I'd like to introduce the backstory and see if we can learn some practical lessons from this story this morning. And so there's really three parts to the book of Ruth. And let's look at that this morning. Part number one, we see in the passage of scripture that we read, sweetness to bitterness, sweetness to 
to bitterness. In the first five verses that we just read, there's a very brief summary of the life of Elimelech and his family in a country called Moab. They had lived in Bethlehem, and they, and they had an abundance of food and other resources there, uh, and they stayed there. But the Bible says that a famine struck the land, and Bethlehem turned from its meaning of house of bread to what I would say house of hunger. And when God made a covenant with Israel through Moses many centuries earlier, covenant blessings and curses were stipulated according to Israel's obedience or disobedience to God's law. So in addition to uh, defeat and slavery under foreign nations, the Lord sometimes would send drought and famine on the people because of their rebellion. And it was after they repented of their sins that God would then bless them, whether it was rain or an abundance of food or relief from being under the bondage of one of their enemies. Israel knew this, especially, the Bible says, that they were in the days when the judges ruled there in verse number 1. There was this cycle that always took place. The book of Judges tells us of, a, of Israel's unending cycle of rebellion, judgment, repentance, returning to God's blessing, uh, a deliverer being sent. And then what would they do? They would go right back into the rebellion and go through the same cycle again. Some 10, 11, 12 times that's recorded in history that this process would take place. But the nation's rebellion against God, it became an increasingly like what I'll call a downward spiral. Uh, do you remember people like Samson? He was the last deliverer that, was that we have recorded there in the book of Judges uh, that talks about how that he was a notorious rebel and only turned back to God after he was captured and he had been blinded by another enemy of the Philistines, uh, another enemy of Israel, the Philistines. Now, here we are in the book of Ruth. Elimelech, he faces a decision. He has two choices. Here's the first choice. The first choice is to be true to his name, which means my God is king, and remain right there in Bethlehem, Judah. Repent with all the people. Turn back to God for forgiveness. Trust God for provisions. That was what the end result would be if Israel would turn back to God. Or he had a second decision. And that was to leave for the greener pastures in a country called Moab where there seemed to be plenty of food. Well, the Bible records for us that Elimelech, he chose option number two. And that is, is that he uprooted his family and he traveled to a country called Moab. He, he was not thinking about God being true to his covenant stipulations that if you will serve me and me only, I will meet your needs. If you get nothing out of this morning's message, very early in my message, I'd like to make this statement, and I'd like for you to consider this, that there are dire consequences that follow disobedience. Dire consequences follow disobedience. I believe that is still true today. God ha ha had called Israel to live in the promised land, and in Elimelech's case, specifically in Bethlehem. But Elimelech chose to overrule God's call and to return or go to 
Moab, a land of plenty. But Moab was hostile to Israel and to Israel's God. He should have known that Moab came from the incestuous relationship from between Lot and his older daughter after Sodom was destroyed by God. Why was Lot living in the wicked city of Sodom in the first place? Back in Genesis chapter 13, I remind you of the story where Lot made a choice that would have lifelong consequences. His dire, the di- uh, Lot experienced the dire uh, consequences that came from his disobedience. Here's the story. Lot, he chose to live in the Jordan Valley where the Bible says it was well watered everywhere as the garden of the Lord, um, like the land of Egypt. And so the Bible says he settled down in a city called Sodom, whose people, the Bible says, were wicked sinners before the Lord. He knew the state of affairs in Sodom, but he chose a place like the land of Egypt where he planned to prosper The rebellious world beckoned him, and the attitude of Sodom was, Come, eat, drink, party, uh, for tomorrow we shall all die. By the way, that's literally what happened to everyone in Sodom and Gomorrah except for Lot and his two daughters. And like Lot, Elimelech made a similar choice to live among the wicked, great sinners of the Lord in a place called Moab. What choice will you make? When given a choice to follow what God has instructed you to do or to go where there seems to be prosperity, what choice would you make? Often, especially in younger days, most people, they make choices based on the prospect of comfort, material gain, and security without ever considering God's will. Now, don't misunderstand me. If God chooses to bless you with prosperity, and God chooses to bless you with physical health, and God chooses to bless you with material things, and you're in the center of his will, praise God. And we should say amen. Thank you, Lord. But those who chase after the world's trappings in spite of God's will, without ever considering God's will, understand there could be dire consequences for that disobedience. Christians, young and old, they're not exempt from these choices. Many of our children, even when we have raised them in the nurture and discipline of the Lord in our homes and churches, they are capable of making wrong choices. And these choices affect them for the rest of their lives, for good or for bad. It's always best to follow God's will. Always. The Lord reminded Naomi of Elimelech's wrong choice. Now here's what happened. The family moves. They're in living in Moab. They have food. And Elimelech, he dies. The Bible also says that both of his sons dies. In a space of how long? Ten years. The two sons also made wrong choices. I want you to know that it was not God's will for the Israelites to marry the daughters of Moab. But they married Moabite women. They violated the law against marrying outside the people of Israel, which is found back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want you to note this morning that a consequence of our son's violation of this law is that God closed the wombs of their Moabite wives. Both were unable to have children. Naomi was left alone without any son to perpetuate the line of her husband. 
what, what would Naomi's choice be in such a desperate situation? She could stay in Moab and perhaps remarry a Moabite man. That would be a very slim possibility for in verse number 12, it tells us that she's old by now. Go back to her hometown in Bethlehem and be a poor widow. That's one of her choices. Um, Swallowing her pride, the Bible says that she made the right choice. And Naomi decided to leave the land of Moab and return to the promised land with Ruth, one of her daughter-in-laws. And the state of her life's affairs, the Bible says, was a bitter pill to swallow for Naomi. Twice she has stated her bitterness in verses 8 through 13. She was trying to persuade her two daughter-in-laws to go back to their families where they would find husbands to care for them. And she says, listen, I can't bear any more uh, children. Then she says this in verse number 20 of chapter 1. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She sees her condition as God's punishment against her disobedience. Her name, Naomi, has lost its meaning for her, for Naomi means pleasant. Her circumstances, the Bible says, are now bitter, not pleasant, nor are they sweet. And the sweetness of life has left her, and the Bible says it has left a bitter taste in her mouth. What's a fruit that comes to mind that's bitter? A lemon. Have you ever uh, been in a restaurant, and I think probably 100% of you have done this, you have a baby that's about six months to a year to 18 months old, and you take a slice of lemon, and you think you're being really funny, And you hand them that lemon because you know exactly what the result's going to be. They're going to take it because they trust you. And it's going to go straight into their mouth. And you can't wait for that reaction that's going to take place. They put that in their mouth. And then their eyes go crosswise, uh, their nose goes to the side, their mouth, I mean, their face just scrunches up as they taste that pure bitterness. That's what Naomi's talking about. She's physically distorted. Her face is distorted. She has bitterness. Her body is racked with bitterness. She remembered the place in the wilderness the Israelites called Mara. Because the water there was so bitter that they could not drink it in Exodus chapter 15. Naomi thinks that God is angry with her for abandoning the promised land. uh, For not trusting him for provisions. And and there's a certain element of truth to that. The Israelites were in a, a cycle of rebellion. And had they just repented from their sin, God would have brought blessing back to the nation of Israel. But even though it was her husband's decision to leave Judah... Still, Naomi did not return for a period of time. The Bible indicates after her husband died. She stayed in Moab with her two sons and their wives 10 years after Elimelech died. Instead of returning to Judah after his death, she chose to stay. She had her two sons and they married Moabite women instead of Israelite women. And most of us, most of the time, we're like Naomi and we make choices that are convenient and materially will bless us. 
Now here's the problem. When we dwell in prosperity, even outside of God's will, it is hard to make changes that would threaten that prosperity. Why leave a high-paying job even if the boss tells you to cook the books? Why accept a good job in a place where there is no faithful church or, where, or worse, where churches are perhaps banned? Elimelech, he made the wrong choice. Naomi then followed with another wrong decision even after God turned his sweet, uh, her sweet life into bitterness, a sure sign that God was pulling her, wanted her to return to Bethlehem, Judah. And by way of introduction, we see part one of this book is that is a, that sweetness, that pleasantness of Naomi turned to bitterness. Now notice part number two that we read about. We see this great fullness reduced to emptiness. Fullness reduced to emptiness. Not only did Naomi realize that her life turned from sweet to bitter, she also recognized that her cup, which uh, was full when she left Bethlehem, Judah, was now empty. And in verse 21, she even says this, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. She used to have a husband and two sons, and their life was full and prosperous and going well. The plan was for the two sons to have, uh, have wives and, and to marry and to have children, and she would have grandchildren. Um, there would be a house full of laughing children and playing in the fields and growing up to be strong men and beautiful women. It is interesting that the word Naomi uses for her former situation was this, full being full. Full is the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5 for a woman with child. And in Matthew 1 and verse 18, Mary the virgin is found to be with child. The same word uh, that was used in the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5. So a full life does not only mean that the Lord blessed her greatly, but also includes the blessedness of children. The Lord, has, I, I, I was full when I left Bethlehem, Judah, and I've come back empty. In fact, Psalm 127 verse 5 says this, Happy is the man that hath a quiver full of them. Full, full of them. There's that word again. But all these plans came crashing down on Naomi because they were conceived without ever considering God's will. And so they arrived back in Bethlehem and the people asked, Is this Naomi? Remember, in such a short span of time, she looks different now because of the bitterness that has racked her body. And Naomi says, Why then call ye me, Na me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? She is convinced that because of her sin, God has made her a widow poor and without a child to perpetuate her husband's name. She's like the Israelites who under God's judgment suffer drought and they, they find no water and they return with their vessels empty. So like them, Naomi returned to her people ashamed, confounded. She covers her head according to Jeremiah chapter 14. Part one, we see that sweetness turned to bitterness. In part number two, we see that there was once a fullness, and now she is completely 
empty. And then we see part number three, confession to faith. Confession to faith. At last, the Spirit of God stirred Naomi to swallow that bitter pill and to drink of the empty cup and return to the promised land. And there were only two events in the book of Ruth where God is said to have directly acted. One is in verse number 6 when Naomi decided to go back. The Bible says, because the Lord hath visited his people in giving them bread. In other words, guess what? The famine's over. Israel had repented. Others in chapter 4 and verse 13, when the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Naomi told Orpah and Ruth uh, uh, that she has no future in Moab and that they should go back to their parents. Don't go with me. You go back to your, your families. In Moab, they'll surely be able to, to marry a Moabite man and, and her two daughter-in-laws would be able to bear children. Uh, there's no future in Israel. Uh, they'll be foreigners. They'll be strangers in the land. And, and God would be a strange God to them. Surely no man in all of Bethlehem would be willing to marry women from Moab. Uh, a long, long time enemy. So Orpah, who was very much, very much loved her mother-in-law, the Bible even indicates that she wept and she cried and she went away in tears. But Ruth. Would you notice this little phrase? The Bible says, but Ruth clave unto her. We don't use that word clave. Probably none of you used it one single time this week. What in the world is clave? Here the word for clave is the same word used in the marriage covenant bond in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. The exact same word. It says this, therefore shall a man cleave, that's the word clave, therefore shall a man leave his mother and his father, shall cleave or clave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In the midst of her brokenness and her bitterness and her emptiness, Naomi heard words and faith from Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Listen to this, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Ruth is a remarkable lady. Don't these words remind us of the traditional marriage vow? For better, for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and health, till death do us part. And like a man and a woman in a wedding ceremony, Ruth is committing her whole life to Naomi, willing to move out of her own country, Moab, to Naomi's country, Bethlehem, Judah. Not only is she choosing to faithfully go and stay with Naomi, she is also choosing to believe and to worship Naomi's God, the God of Israel, and to leave her own family and her own gods of Moab. I tell you, that was a life-changing decision. And listen, folks, when you choose to leave the trappings of this world and you believe in the God of this universe and his son, Jesus Christ, it's a life-changing decision. I encourage you everyone to make that decision she does not even know if she would even be received in israel for ruth now a widow lady um, i believe the bible even indicates to us that initially she was not well received when the two women arrived uh, uh, naomi's neighbors even asked are are you naomi i'm not sure you look you resemble naomi but are you naomi 
as if Ruth doesn't even exist. I don't even acknowledge her. Uh, they just ignored this Moabite stranger. Years ago, one of the greatest boxers of our time, Manny Pacquiao, raised a huge controversy in the Philippines and even around the world. In a TV interview, he was asked about his view on homosexuality. And he said that homosexual relationships are sinful. He was only, by the way, stating what the Bible states, not his opinion. However, as a result, Nike immediately dropped him from their sponsorship, costing him millions of dollars. He still stood firm on his view that homosexual relationships are sinful. And just as Ruth had done, Pacquiao, he renounced his former life. His former life was full of womanizing and gambling and heavy drinking. And Mandy Pacquiao, he committed to cling to God's covenant people as his own adopted family. And he committed his life to the Lord. And even, as, even though it would cost him money and fame and respect, even though he was ridiculed by politicians and sports writers, other athletes and celebrities for standing in his faith for Christ. But just as Joshua said, he says, and Manny Pacquiao has been known to quote this, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It may cost us something to confess our faith, but may I just tell you, I'd rather God on my side than the world on my side. So what do we take from this introductory message? Uh, what is your commitment? Are you committed to God no matter what your family and your friends and your peers say? Are you committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ no matter what the cost may be when it comes to money and acceptance? Are you committed to having a testimony of the gospel message of Jesus Christ even if the world would, were to ridicule and perhaps persecute you? Some people confess Christ at the cost of their own lives, like those in the Middle East or those in strong Islamic countries. What is your confession of faith? Is it merely confessing Christ with your mouth but not with your deeds? Or are you committed to worshiping God together with the people of God on the Lord's day? Thank you for being here. It's amazing to see you. Thank you. Are you committed to your growth group class, or to a Bible study, to discipleship, to being involved in your church, to, to being involved in a prayer meeting and Bible study? What is your level of commitment to God? Ruth. Moabite woman, who would we, we would say represents the world, she chose to leave that life behind and follow Naomi to the promised land. Some of us are still stuck in the world's, in the world's arena, where yes, maybe there's some cheers and there's, and there's a loss of testimony, but I can always make that right l later. Versus being involved in the promised land where God says the blessings are immense. Sometimes our priorities in life become more precious to us than Christ. And they're taking his place. Now some of us would say, I do not have any idols in my life. And the fact is, is that if there's anything that's more precious to us than the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an idol. 
It's a Moabite idol. It represents the world. It represents us saying, this is more important than Christ. Are you hesitating to becoming a member of this church? Committing to our doctrines and our worship and our practice? Are, uh, are you committed to helping those who are in the church and serve as, with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you committed to confessing Christ uh, to the Moabites around you and inviting them to our worship studies and, and our Bible studies and saying, I want you to leave from the land of Moab, come to the promised land? What does God need to do to stir you? You say, this is a cute story. Oh, no. Let's understand what happened. Naomi followed her husband who made a wrong decision. Naomi's two sons married Moabite, or we could say unsaved women. And it affected them for the rest of their lives. Naomi, a once vibrant, pleasant, as her name meant, believer in God, became a bitter shell of herself. But you know what? She came back. She came back. She came back to the promised land. And to those, of, uh, of, uh, to those among us that desire a life or worldly pursuits without God, may I just say, return to the promised land. Return to where God wants you to be. For only where Christ is can there be sweetness and fullness of life. His words are, are sweeter than honey and much more desirable than gold. He promised you he promises you greener pastures that are greater for serving him than anything this world can offer you. I'll illustrate it. Psalm 66, or 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Our Lord Jesus Christ desires that you know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. May I just say, in Christ, your lives will be transformed from bitterness that affects you physically to sweetness, from emptiness of following the world to fullness in following Christ. Jesus promises you the comforting words that he gave Ruth. He goes wherever you go. He lodges wherever you lodge. In fact, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And God wants to dwell with you, and he wants you to have a glorious existence for all of eternity in a place called heaven. He clings to you even in the midst of your brokenness and your bitterness and your emptiness. And your people, the church, are his people. And may I just say, your heavenly Father, uh, he wants to have a relationship with you. He sent his son to die on the cross. And Christian, we often check out at that point. We say, okay, I know I'm saved. I don't have to listen to him. There's Christians who are living in Moab out of God's will. Will you have to become broken, bitter, empty before you return? I say return today. And if you're, if you're living in Moab, you're lost as can be, you're unsaved, may I tell you, be like Ruth, the lady who was a Moabite, and she followed the true and living God. And if you'll come over the next few weeks, you're going to see how God used that step of faith on Ruth to change the course of history. Did you know that this story that we tell today changed 
the course of history. And so I want you to come back. I want you to hear about that in the coming weeks. But listen, where are you today? Are you in the promised land or are you in Moab? Are you a Moabite, which means that you're unsaved, lost? You are, you are not a Christian. You're not a believer. Are you a Christian that stepped over into Moabab, Moab to taste the pleasures of the world? And, and no, I'll go, I'll go back when it feels right. Listen, Elimelech and Naomi were only going to go to Moab because they were hungry. Because they were rebellious and living outside the God, God's will. They get, did have temporary satisfaction, but here's the problem. The world trapped them, and they couldn't get out. Elimelech and both of her sons died in the world. Don't let that happen to your life. 